All right. Hello, everybody. I am Isaac, and welcome to the very first episode of Little Wins, a podcast that is much more than just a conversation, where we interview everyday people making a difference in their communities and connect them to you, our audience, to make an impact. This episode is just the first step in a journey of putting the spotlight on local leaders stepping up in their neighborhoods. To date, we have already raised about $1,200 for our Everyday Impact Fund, which is dispersing micro-grants to podcast guests working on community projects that just need a few hundred dollars to complete. If you know a neighborhood leader doing great work, please send them our way to the link tree on the at Little Winds Chicago Instagram page or sign up there to be a monthly recurring donor. We raise our grant funds from both Patreon donors and advertising revenue. So even just by listening to and sharing our show, you are making a difference and being an active participant. I truly thank you for it. Today, we are joined by our first ever micro-grant recipient, Jacques Stefanik, co-founder and executive director of Serving People with a Mission, an organization founded in 2020 that provides leadership and development services for Chicago youth. So Jacques, I'd love if you could introduce yourself and the work that your organization, Serving with People with a Mission, does. Yeah, thank you for all of your work, Isaac. I really appreciate it from SPM Zen. So um, my name is Jacques Stefanik. Um, I am the executive director and one of the co-founders of Serving People with a Mission. And here at SPM, SPM for short, uh, we are a nonprofit organization, 501c3, that was founded in 2020 during a really hard time for the entire country, the world, and even you know our neighborhood in Chicago. So a group of uh, other a group of a few other members of Loyola University Chicago and I came together Carlos and Valeria um, we were having these really critical conversations revolving around our youth community and how we could step in to support it and that's how SPM was born we were then challenged with becoming an actual nonprofit organization we had to get our 501c3 status we had to incorporate we had to do all of this paperwork and then we actually had to um, do our services so we began our hand-in-hand leadership training program actually in november of last year so we actually just completed our first program and it was great it was our pilot program we did it at farragut career academy which is located in little village is around 26 in kedzie and uh, we were able to build a great connection with a small group of about 15 high school students and it was great. It was one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life, was, was, which was to step down and mentor high school students. And I'm only 23, from, for example, so I think it was really great. And our second service is our Giving People Donations Drive, and that's where we actually collect donations from uh, random people. Uh, we collect clothes donations. We collect food donations. Um, City Colleges of Chicago actually donated a lot of COVID testing kits to us, and we just uh, distribute them to members of the community who need them. So those are our two primary services, and I'm really honored to be part of the team. I'm the executive director and one of the co-founders, and we have a team of uh, four other executives, and we have a small pool of volunteers, and we have a pretty generous pool of donors, and Isaac and his organization being one of them was great. And, um, yeah, we're still in the beginning stages, but we are getting there. So, yeah. 
Perfect. You're making us 25-year-olds look bad doing all this <laughs> at, uh, at 23. And that's kind of a good segue to mentioning our donation. Um, can you talk a bit about the impact of our $200 grant to SPM and what you guys were able to accomplish with it to give our audience a taste of even what just a small donation can do? So first of all, SPM is an entirely voluntary-based organization. So nobody gets paid. I don't get paid. Nobody has received compensation at all. And every single dollar penny that we raise would literally go towards either our hand-in-hand leadership program or our giving people donations drive. And in Isaac's case, when Isaac, when I applied to that micro grant that Isaac created, and um, I think I applied to that a couple months ago, um, that was actually literally the first grant that we won, actually. So much appreciated for that. Uh, we won one grant, and that was Isaac's grant. And um, the $200 that we were donated by Isaac, we were able to use that to um, buy supplies for our students. So we were able to buy care packages and um, stuff like insulated water bottles, planners, book bags, pencil pouches, notebooks, and things that you would need going into college. And, you know, it's really important because in SPM, you know, I just graduated from college last year. I graduated from Loyola University of Chicago um, in 2021. And it's um, something that I, you know, hold really heavy to myself that I'm a recent college graduate. But the fact that um, we're able to step down and help high school students who are going into college and who are even freshmen and sophomores in high school uh, with the resources that are provided to us, which is, you know, simple things like a notebook, a planner, a book bag, things that are meant to help people succeed in college, which is great. And it's much appreciated that we were able to have that privilege to even buy these items because, first of all, we are a nonprofit organization that has a really small pool of donors. And the micro grant that uh, we won from Little Wins was the first and honestly a big win for us, to be honest, because, you know, $200 took us a long way. And honestly, the students, uh, we gave the care packages to the students on the day of our graduation. Uh, which was actually two weeks ago from today. Today is June 3rd. We had our first graduation um, back in May, May 20th. And we were able to give the students the care package items. And, you know, thanks to Isaac and his organization, we were we were able to give them some pretty good stuff. So you know, thank you for that. And, you know, the students are definitely benefiting from that. And I really hope that they are able to take that to their college. Like whatever college they go to, they are definitely going to have the resources that they need. So that's much appreciated. Definitely. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to attend uh, one of your events in which you took your youth boxing and did some mental health workshops with them as well. Um, and, you know, this is, this organization is having a much bigger impact than even just care packages, having really an impact on, at least I saw, their, their confidence, um, their mental health as well. Could you talk a bit about, you know, how you see your students change from the start of the program to the end of it? Yeah, I mean, it's such a really beautiful sight to you know watch a high school student develop over the course of six months and even a more beautiful sight to see myself and even members of my team develop because we're all still youth um, like i'm 23 members of the team are between the ages of 20 and 24 years old and our high school students they range between the ages of 15 and 19 years old so in general we're still we're all still youth and kind of helping ourselves um, helping fellow members of the youth community learn, develop, professional develop is a great site. So when we started our program back in November of 2021, 
Um, it was obviously the first time we met our participants. It was the first time we recruited them, the first time we talked to them. And obviously there were different people back in the day, back in November of 2021, some of them were obviously different from when they completed the program. I believe six months later, or up until May, once they completed the program, they have learned a lot of critical things in order to go into the world nowadays. So we were able to teach them the importance of networking, the importance of, you know, potentially meeting your future boss, resume writing, um, mental and physical wellness, the same workshop that Isaac came to a couple weeks ago and uh, many other items. And I think that these workshops that we created are specifically tailored to the communities that we serve because the Hand in Hand Leadership Program is a general youth development program. However, we do tailor it specifically to the high schools and the communities that we serve. So we were actually asking our students, what do you all wanna learn when we first started the program? And we actually implemented the items that, not all the items, but we implemented some of the items that they were interested in learning, um, such as how to have a professional meeting, for example. So the students were able to learn how to sit down at a table, how to understand parliamentary procedure, and how to basically have a professional meeting. And they wanted to learn that, and we taught them that. And I think that's the most beautiful part about it because I'm not the one who's only learning here. It's, we're both learning, you know, me and Caesar or me and Candy, the participants in our program, for example, we have, you know, pretty down to earth conversations. And I think that's the most important thing about the program is that I can sit down with a participant and actually have a face-to-face -face conversation with them and understand where they come from and they can understand where I come from because first of all, the age gap is pretty short. And second of all, we're all from the community. We're all trying our best to do our part and the greatest thing about them graduating from the program is that they have become servant leaders and that's the greatest thing about spm is that we want to create people who are going to go into the community and serve in other words a servant leader and i am super confident that the people who graduated from our program are going to go forth and to become servant leaders in the little village and even beyond the little village community and I really just, I'm just excited to see where they, where they end up. And I'm even more excited to, to see where the seniors end up because we had a couple seniors in our, in our um, program and they just graduated from, um, actually, no, I'm sorry, they're graduating from Farragut next week. So I'm, I'm really happy to go see the Farragut graduation and I'm more happy to follow up with them and see what school they're gonna go to, seeing how the, um, you know, the materials that we taught them is gonna help them, seeing if they're using their planners and notebooks that we were able to give them because of Little Wind, stuff like that. And um, it's it's been a great sight to just see them change over the course of the six months and the fact that they trust us, to be honest. Like they, you know, text us, they like to email us and they like to just ask us simple questions. And I think that's the greatest thing about it. It's just the power of mentorship. So, yeah. And, uh, and just to add on, so the hand in hand leadership program also has another component to it. So we do have the workshops where we take to our students, you know, resume building, how to write a cover letter, how to have a meeting, how to, um, how to network. However, we do teach our students the power of mentorship. So our other aspect of the program is taking our, um, 15 high school students, we take them to New Life Centers, which is a nonprofit organization in Little Village. And they, they're kind of, like an, um, kind of like a mixture of a daycare and an after-school program. So we take our high school students and we actually have them mentor middle school students and children. And I think that's extremely important because I myself, who's a, uh, still a youth, who's 23, year old, 23 years old, mentoring a 
um, high school student who's like a sophomore or junior. And then you take that same high school student and then they mentor a child, somebody who's in like fifth, sixth, seventh grade. And honestly, it's something that we like to call trickle down mentoring because um, the age gap is so short enough where we can just easily pass down information where I can teach a high school student how to build a resume. And a high school student is not necessarily going to teach a child how to build a resume, but they're going to put it in their head. And I think that's a really effective way to teach and a really effective way to mentor. Um, the age gap is, you know, something that we can always talk about, you know, having a, you know, a 40-year-old teacher teaching a 15-year-old high school student, it works. But at the same time, the method that we created, trickle-down mentoring, is a really effective way ensuring that information gets passed down efficiently and effectively. And obviously just building together the youth community from the ground up, to be honest. So it's a really great site to see all like the mentoring and the students are learning from each other. And you know, if I, I really wanna continue to do this and I wanna expand this program to other schools and I wanna see more people benefit from it. So, yeah. It's almost as if the ideal outcome is to create the next person that would start the next SPM. Yes. I, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, you've mentioned the Little Village neighborhood a couple times, um, and I believe you are from that area originally. Um, you know, first of all, I can't imagine how fulfilling it is to be able to mentor people just a similar age to you in the same area where you grew up. I'm curious for our listeners that aren't as familiar with Little Village or the neighborhood or might be even listening from outside Chicago, could you set the stage for them and kind of describe what the neighborhood is like? Yeah, well, well, well just uh, first of all, I'm actually, I'm not native to Little Village. Um, the other co-founder, Carlos Martinez, um, he's the operations officer as well. Um, he's native to Little Village and he actually graduated from Farragut Career Academy. So he's the one who has like the, like the, the deep connections who's from Farragut. He, he graduated from there in 2017. Um, I'm actually from West Pullman in the, in the far south side of Chicago. Um, but I'm sorry, can you repeat your question, the second half of it again? Yeah, um, if you could kind of describe to our listeners sort of what is the neighborhood of Little Village mm. like? Yeah, and I, I've, I, I don't like to say I'm from Little Village, but like I've been in Little Village almost every single week for the past couple months. And, you know, I have friends over there as well. And the, the neighborhood is very lively. Um, it's super lively. And I believe if I had the opportunity to move again, <laughs> I would probably move to Little Village, to be honest. Um, I, I really take Chicago very seriously. I like to call myself the professional Chicagoan because like, I'm super around the city all the time. And uh, I think Little Village is like one of the gems of the city of Chicago and the people of it. Um, it's just the the, the community there is like super like welcoming in my opinion and the school Farragut Career Academy um, that's where a lot of the students go um, they love the neighborhood and they love the little village community and honestly if you're from little village like you're probably gonna know at least like a couple people who are business owners who are um, you know even police officers or who are people who are just generally community members like that's how good community in little village is and um, Honestly, I haven't really spent so much time in Little Village as Carlos has, because I know he can definitely speak on Little Village much more than I can, the fact that he's native to the area. Um, but at the same time, Little Village can get a bad reputa uh, representation sometimes. Like, I think if you turn on the news, um, sometimes um, the media would kind of, kind of portray Little Village as a dangerous or an unsafe area. 
And I think that's generally just a Chicagoland area. But, um, you know, Little Village is not just a place where there's like there's danger or there's like issues with, you know, the police or anything. It's a really beautiful area. Um, there has been a lot of unfortunate events that have happened. And unfortunately, there are some um, there were some incidents that happened at Farragut. Um, there were some incidents that happened in the alley of Farragut. Like, for example, Adam Toledo, uh, he was unfortunately killed in the alley right behind Farragut Career Academy. And these are, you got to understand, uh, Farragut Career Academy is like right next to the place where he was killed. And the high school students at Farragut are just impacted in a certain way. And um, when the media talks about it, the students kind of lose motivation and I think that's important to know because it's not just a neighborhood that has a lot of incidents. It's a neighborhood that has a lot of community and it's a neighborhood that I am proud to, you know, serve, to be honest, even though I'm not from the Little Village area, I'm really proud to go there every day and just like talk to the people there. And um, if I could do the program again at Little Village uh, in another area, then I definitely would. I would definitely love to expand the program, not just beyond the Little Village neighborhood, but beyond like the Chicagoland borders. Uh, but we all got to start somewhere. So we are in the beginning stages of trying to expand the SPM services and our programming um, to other parts of Little Village and other parts of Chicago and even other parts of Cook County, because we see that this program is not just beneficial to the students, but it's beneficial to the community because we are able to connect and be a liaison to members of the community, members who are leaders of the community. And we wanna make sure that we can pass around the resources that people need to succeed, um, pass around the leadership resources, and also just kind of be a resource to the students who are, um, you know, historically like not listened to, historically underrepresented. And I think that's a, that's kind of where I come from. Like I came from like South Chicago and, um, you know, even though I'm not like necessarily from the Little Village community, I can share a lot of, you know, relations to people who are from Little Village because we all come from Chicago and a lot of the issues that we face are really similar issues. It's just the issues that I face happen on like 115th instead of 26. And I think that's where we all can relate. And that's why, that's why the Little Village community is such a beautiful neighborhood because it's part of Chicago and almost anybody from Chicago who goes there will feel welcomed. And you just have to basically find the right people who are going to kind of walk you through the neighborhood and like walk hand in hand with you and teach you about the neighborhood because it's really important to understand that you have to get information from like people who are from the neighborhood. And that's why I was really honored to have Carlos um, kind of walk me through Little Village and teach me what I should know about the neighborhood and teach me um, the things that people don't know about the neighborhood. And it's, it's, it's a really good thing to have, to have somebody who's like an insider of the neighborhood to teach you. So you can also become that insider, in other words. Completely. And I think, you know, touching upon what you said, I think every neighborhood is part of the Chicago story and every neighborhood is so deserving of the investment, the kind of investment that you guys are making in Little, little Village. Um, and touching on something you said earlier as well, you know, starting this entire organization at the age of 23, can you sort of walk me through um, what it was like to go out and do this at such a young age and to think to yourself just right after graduating college, you know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, my right, turn yeah. to take up the mantle and do something to improve the world. Yeah, I mean, oh, I actually um, co-founded the organization when I was 22. I, I turned 23 pretty recently, actually. Um, so in 2020, um, you know, when we 
came together to have the conversations of like, what are we going to do next? And you got you also got to understand that Carlos Valeria and myself, we all came from a pretty similar place. Uh, we all served in the student government of Arepe College, which is a two-year school of Loyola University of Chicago. It's pretty similar to a community college, uh, but it's connected to a private institution. So we all were serving in student government. We all were able to serve members of our community who come from Chicago, who are living in our neighborhoods. And um, I served as, as a student body president. Carlos was a student body vice president. And um, Valeria was um, the student body president after my term was completed. So once we all finished student government, we came together. We we're like, okay, well, we're a pretty good team. Uh, what are we going to do next? Like, what are we going to do now? And the conversation of starting a nonprofit came up. Uh, honestly, we didn't really know much about nonprofits. Like, I went to school for business, marketing, and management. And now I really wish I would have taken like a nonprofit class in business in business school. Uh, but I mean, I just, I, we were going with the flow with SPM to be honest, but we were able to ask a lot of people for resources. Um, and we were able to be guided to the right resources. And basically we got our 501c3 status. We got our incorporation status and a lot of other paperwork, like from the, you know, from the, from the state of Illinois and stuff like that. But, um, starting, it was, extremely difficult um obviously we didn't fundraise um as much as um other nonprofits have in the past because you know people always say to me oh well you should have fundraised before you started your services um and i guess that can be a mistake that i could beat myself up over about but then again um we were able to successfully complete our program without the proper without the quote-unquote proper fundraising um etiquette um, and it's an honor to even have the funds that we had because any, literally, like I said earlier, any penny that came in went directly to the services that we have. And, um, that was also another hard part about it was making sure that we have the money to effectively run our organization. And, you know, we, we applied to a couple grants, we got rejected. Um, and we still haven't, you know, hit like any big funding, um, opportunities yet. Um, as I mentioned before, technically, Little Wins is the only grant that we've won. And um, I think that does speak a lot about the organization because we were able to kind of survive and we had the resilience to keep pushing and keep pushing when, you know, we were getting rejected by grants when we were not getting the funding that we needed. Um, but we made it work. Um, and I think the most important thing about it is that we didn't let it get in the way of our students. We didn't let it get in the way of the people who benefit from our services um, because that's the last thing that they should know because I want to ensure that the services that we have are going to be completely functional, regardless of funding, regardless of the staffing that comes with it, because the people who run SPM, including myself, uh, we're all servant leaders. And I think we all understand the sacrifice that we've taken um, to take the step forward to serve other people, because we're not getting paid. We've taken off of work. We have gone an extra mile we've driven to other parts of the city for example little village and other parts of chicago to ensure that our services are going to be successful and we've been doing that for a long time <laughs> a really long time like and we're still doing it to be honest but just to look from where we came from it's amazing uh, you know it's a lot of tiring work it really is from 2020 it was a lot of like the paperwork a lot of the meetings and the discussions um, 2020 really wasn't a time where we had a lot of activity um, because it was a lot of meetings. It was a lot of discussion with the team, like, what are we going to do type of conversations? 
2021 was, all right, now we have our 501c3 status. Now we are incorporated. Uh, what are we going to do now? And that's when we came up with the program. Okay, we already, we already know how we can serve. We already know that we're great mentors. We already know that we can help somebody who's younger than us succeed. So that's why we started the program. And going through with starting the program was a whole nother door to open only because we have to go to the Chicago public school system and uh, we have to get an approval from like six different people in CPS. And we had a lot of pushback actually. Um, there was a couple times where we thought the program wasn't gonna run. There was a couple times where we got, we got like a no, like as a solid answer. Um, there was a couple times where, um, you know, we thought that we weren't prepared to start the program, but you know what, we, we pushed through. And, you know, in November, when we were able to start the program completely, um, we were, we were actually pretty happy, but we were like, man, we actually have to do this whole program now. <laughs> and we did it. We, we actually did it. Uh, we started the program in November. The program was actually supposed to start in September at the beginning of the school year. Um, but due to complications, um, and it was just a lot of, you know, things that we had to talk to CPS about, um, it was postponed to November. Um, but we were able to kind of still like recruit, uh, we went to, uh, to the lunchrooms with the students and talked to them about the program. Like, Hey, we're going to have a program starting in November. I know it's kind of a weird time to start, but, um, you know, if you want to join the program in November, please do. Um, but then going through the program, like, you know, from November to May, um, we were able to see how successful it was and it was becoming easier to run, to be honest. Like it was really, it was actually becoming fun <laughs> instead of a chore. And honestly, it wasn't a chore because it was honestly one of the greatest jobs I've ever had, even though it was rough, we got it done. And I'm really happy that we made it to, we made it to the end of the program successfully. Definitely. And I think it just goes to show, you know, you could get your first grant two years into operations. So definitely goes to show that one should never give up. Um, and mm -hmm. I just like to say for the record of Jacques, uh, you speaking about doing the work that there are organizations that have dozens of employees, nonprofits uh, that you might think have it all figured out that don't even respond to emails about a $500 <laughs> donation. Yeah. Whereas Jacques is out here, you know, texting me, messaging me, getting me on, getting me on that $200 donation. So I think it's, it all comes down to the hard work. And I think you guys really set a great example for that. Um, and I'm curious to learn about what you would tell someone, what you would get, what advice would you give to someone before trying to have an impact or trying to start their own nonprofit? You know, what did you learn throughout this process? Well, I, I learned a lot. I mean, I, Honestly, um, would say you got to like kind of trust the process in a way, um, especially if I'm going to be talking to like a, like a 22 year old, like somebody who was in my shoes a couple of years ago, who's starting a nonprofit or even like a 21 year old, I would say, uh, first of all, get yourself a good team. Um, you have to get people who are going to be confident and who are going to trust the process as well. Um, and you're going to have to, you know, take that extra step because there's going to be a good period of time where you're not going to be, uh, financially compensated. And I, I think it's really important to understand when you're like a 21, 22, 23 year old, um, yourself, you yourself are entering the workforce. Um, you might be getting your first full-time job. You might be moving out or you might still be living at home. Who knows? But you're still going to have a really big life change and a really big shift in your like career when you're exiting college or if you're not in college, 
um, just in general, like in your 20s is a pretty, or in your early 20s at least, is a pretty big movement time. And um, you obviously want to make sure that you're taking care of yourself mentally and you're taking care of yourself financially and that you're taking care of the people that you love as well. So you got to understand that you have to keep that aside. But if you are like, extremely passionate about starting a nonprofit organization or doing something that's just generally going to involve at least a couple months of your time, um, that's going to involve community work, just try your best to set some time aside to ensure that you can get it done because at the same time, you're going to have people who are going to be relying on you. If you're a servant leader, people are going to rely on you. People are going to lie on you. People are going to, and when I mean like lying, I mean like they're going to depend on you. People are going to depend on you and um, people are going to be looking up to you. So you have to reserve that time to serve. In other words, you have to reserve that time to ensure that you can answer the simple questions like, hey, how do I build a resume? Hey, how do I do this? Hey, can I have some help on my homework? You have to reserve that time because if you can't reserve that time, um, then you probably shouldn't do it at all, to be honest. And you should take that step back and say, okay, I need to concentrate on myself first. But if you're able to reserve that time to, res you know, to serve others and to um, go out into the community and be a servant leader, then definitely do it for sure. Because um, that's what I did. It does take some extra time. You, you will have to stay up late, stay later, um, take that extra step, and you know, learn more about a different community. To be honest, uh, but if you do that, like you will forever thank yourself. Like, and I'm super happy that I've done this, that I've served, and the capacity that I did, uh, because I can't go back. I can't go back in time and do it again. I can do it again in the future. But I'm really glad that I have the memories, and I'm really glad that I have the knowledge because it's priceless. It's it's even more priceless about the people that we've touched, and that the conversations that you've had because. You might have one of the best conversations with a high schooler, or you might have a bet, like one of the best conversations with somebody who's homeless who needs some clothes or, or some food, because that's really the thing that wins in your head, the fact that you were there for somebody. And if you're there for somebody, that's all that matters to me. If you're there to help people, then you are a servant leader. And I think if yep. you're able to do that, you're definitely more prepared to go into the world and do that at a larger scale. Definitely. And I think it's those moments that keep you going where – you know, one might be operating the world's biggest food bank, but if you're not on the front lines serving out the food, doling it out, mm -hmm. you don't get that same satisfaction. And I think it's those exact moments that kind of ground you and let you know why you do this work. And that really gives you the motivation to keep doing it for years. So I take your lesson that you wouldn't want to just be you know, caught in some administrative managerial role, you have to be on the front lines doing the work yourself. Um, and that'll be the best both for you and for the people you're serving. Um, I'd love to, you know, ask you in doing this work, what have you learned about the problems facing youth today in America that you didn't know before? What has this kind yeah. of taught you about what's going on with youth in America today? I think that's a great question. Um, I mean, generally, I think everybody knows that a youth is like anybody who's considered like a young adult or more specifically anybody who's between ages of like 16 and 24 years old. Um, and I think one of the biggest problems that members of the youth community are facing is like we're not really getting like the respect from like the adult community or like members of like the older communities because – 
it's expected that if you're a youth or if you're in high school or, or, or if you're in college that you kind of sit down, you listen to whoever's older than you and listen to what they tell you to do. And, you know, that's how I was raised. And I think in the classroom, um, that's how we are taught. Um, and I think that's totally fine. But then again, we have to call for innovation. Uh, I think we have the call to have greater respect for the youth community as a whole. Um, it's pretty commonly um, said that members of the youth community, or if you're a teenager or in your 20s, uh, you have some sort of ignorance. Uh, I heard that so many times that, oh, you're 19 years old. Oh, you're too ignorant to understand what we're talking about here. Or you're, you know, or if you're under 25, you're too ignorant to understand what we're doing over here. Um, and a lot of these comments come from members of the older community, like adults in their, like, you know, late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and so on and so forth. Um, and I think that's something that the youth community actually should challenge to the adult community that, you know, we have our own, you know, ideologies, we have our own minds, and, you know, we're all not ignorant. And I think every way is a two-way street. Like, yeah, I think the youth community has a lot to learn. Um, at the same time, I think members of the adult community have a lot to learn as well from the youth community. And I think that we should have a better conversation of where we can sit down members of the adult community and the youth community together and sit down and learn from each other. Because I think that if a youth had an opportunity to teach somebody who is older, in other words, mentor somebody who's older than them, I think that'll be game changing. But then again, it's not seen as conventional at all because it's seen that, you know, somebody who's older should be teaching somebody like me who's 23 years old and that's the that's the common practice and i think that's respectable and i've you know i've i've learned a lot of my things from people who are older than me but at the same time i think i myself as a youth and even high school students like teenagers will want to take that extra step to actually teach somebody who's an adult and i think it'll kind of bridge the gap between our two communities and i think it'll help youth become more confident um, I think what I've seen and generally in the youth community is that a lot of youth have don't really have the confidence to kind of be around um, the adult community. Um, they rather be around themselves. They rather be around teenagers and 20 year olds because they, they feel more comfortable. Um, but then again, I think we need to have that level of trust between the both communities. So I would like to see the youth community have more confidence in themselves to like not be nervous and to even just be more of a go-getter. But then again, I do believe that the youth community in general can be held back um, due to the complications that we see from above us. Um, like, you know, SPM, we're an entirely youth-led nonprofit organization, um, and we've struggled a lot. As a youth organization, we have had a lot of struggles uh, when it comes to funding, when it comes to operations. And I think members of the adult community have helped us a lot. But um, I do believe if we receive, like, the adequate respect as in, like, you know, an organization and not seeing us as, like, a bunch of 20-year-olds running an organization, seeing us as just generally people running an organization, I do believe that SPM will be in a different spot. But then again, we all got to start from where we're – we all got to start from somewhere. So um, I do think that there should just be generally more respect between both the youth community and the adult community because there's some tension between them. Um, as we see, there's some, you know, things in the news that we see that we can see that there's tension. But then again, I do believe that the, build, the bridge could be built, and the bridge is actively being built right now. 
um, and a lot of work that we're doing in SPM and even with other partnering organizations, uh, we're trying to build that bridge actively to have a better connection between members of the adult community um, and members of the teenager and the 20-year-old community as well. Definitely, and I think it's very important work you're doing to build that bridge. Um, I would love to ask you, you know, as my second to last question here, could you give us a sense of your organization's scale? Um, I know you mentioned that you guys distributed COVID tests. Um, I would be curious to learn, you know, how many COVID tests did you distribute? Um, how many youth do you mentor? Any kind of sense of how large SPM is and its impact? Yeah. So in terms of our hand-in-hand leadership program, uh, we were able to serve 15 youth. Um, however, that number is not set in stone because um, we also took uh, a group of Farragut uh, Career Academy students to Loyola University of Chicago for a tour. Um, so we were able to mentor 15 students, but we took about 30 high school students to Loyola University of Chicago back in April for a tour. So the numbers can vary there. Um, and in terms of our giving people donations drive, we have, it's hard to track that because honestly, we don't really have the capacity to properly track those numbers, um, only because everybody in the executive team is boots on the ground. Uh, we really don't, our only administrative person is technically our operations officer. And he's obviously, he's actually also boots on the ground as well. Um, but, um, we received three boxfuls of, I think it was packs of 20, um, COVID testing kits from city colleges of Chicago. So about 60. Um, and each box had two tests uh, had two tests in it, so that's roughly about 120 tests that we were able to distribute to the members of the community. Um, and in terms of the actual distribution, what we do is literally we would drive to a homeless community and we would sit down with members of the homeless community who are in like tents, who are like under bridges, and we would just say, "What do you need? And how much of it do you need it?" So, for example, we'll go to like. Uh, there's a really big homeless community on Canal, and I think it's kind of off of Roosevelt. Um, but we will go there. It's like a big tent community, and we would just have, like, our items. We'll walk around with boxes and kind of pass it out. Um, and I know that's not really, like, the best way to do it because it's hard to track it. Um, and we don't really do, like, much of the tracking because we're doing a lot of the talking. But then again, uh, we receive, like, hundreds of clothing items and um, hundreds of pieces of food, and it's. I wish we. I wish we had the capacity to track those items because I, I know that we need it. Um, I know that we need that stuff for like grants and for data and stuff. But honestly, it, it's just hard to do it because we don't have the people power to do that. Um, but honestly, I think the greatest thing about it is the fact that we're just helping people. So we were able to pass out like all. I, we got rid of the COVID testing kits because like you know we had a really rough time in like February. And we're having a pretty rough time in COVID right now in Chicago that people want them and people will literally try to buy it off of you, but we give it out for free anyway. Uh, but in terms of the, the clothing donations and the food donations, those numbers are kind of very in the air, in other words, because we would try to give like a homeless person like, you know, one set of clothes and like one meal. But then again, like after talking to them, like they would kind of ask for more. And, you know, if we're able to give them more items, then we would. We will give them as much as we can. But we also want to keep in mind that we have items enough for um, people who are in other homeless communities and that we don't want to give them give too much to one person. So we have literally it's hard to it's hard to gear the numbers of clothing donations that we received because we had a donation box 
at six of the seven community colleges in Chicago. So we had a donation box at Kennedy King, at Wright College, at Truman College, at Richard Daly, at Olive Harvey, at Malcolm X, and at Arupe College. So there's actually seven. And thousands of people have probably passed these boxes, and I'm pretty sure hundreds of people donated. Um, and we literally have, man, so much clothes. <laughs> we have, honestly, so many clothes and that we don't really know what to do with. But we're just actively passing it out to people who need them, people who want them. And um, I believe that in the executive team, we're having a conversation of, like, how can we actively track this? Um, because we know that's also important. But um, I would say so far, we've, we've probably helped at least – at least 100 members of the homeless community over the past three months. Um, and we've been doing the donation drive since like November. Um, and it's, it's a really great, it's a really great service. Uh, it's, it's a really good way to like, you know, see what's going on in Chicago to walk around the neighborhoods and to just talk to people who have struggled, talk to people who are immigrants, even who are from other countries and who, who just need like, you know, a meal or who needs some clothes to get by or talk to somebody who recently got out of the system, in other words, jail uh, or prison, and help them out, get them off their feet, and give them the proper resources because we just don't give them, like, food and clothes. We give them resources and, like, addresses to, like, other nonprofit and social services organizations that do have the capacity to help people get their identities back. Um, and I think that's really important because that's what we've noticed when talking to homeless people, that they've lost their identity. Um, and we want to definitely try to help them with that. So we've, we send them over to, like, other organizations that have the capacity to help them with that. So in general, like I said earlier, we're kind of like a liaison, making sure that people have the resources that they need. And um, if we're able to provide it, like food and clothes, then we'll just give it to them on the spot. But if we can't do it, we'll send them over to somebody else who are, who's guaranteed able to help them. Definitely. And that's a perfect segue to my last question, which is, you know, what does SPM plan to do in the future? And how can our listeners help? Yeah, so SPM right now, we are in the phase of development because we want to basically wrap up the program. We want to see the data from the program, and we want to obviously apply to grants because we want to expand our services and we want to do more stuff. Um, the general goal right now is to expand the hand-in-hand -hand leadership program to other high schools. Uh, for example, I came from a Noble Street Charter, so I came from Rounder College up in Westtown. I am already beginning conversations with the principal, with the teachers over there, because I would love to see that program at Rounder College Prep. Um, same thing with other schools that members of SPM were graduating from, and even other schools that were not from, like Uplift in the north side, and um, Eric Solario on the south side, so on and so forth. And we want to replicate the program that we've had, because it's honestly a program that can't be replicated by any other organization because we created it. And the fact that we created a program that's able to connect members of the 20-year-old community, members of the teenage community, and members of the child community all in one, it can't, you, can't, you don't see that anywhere else. And the fact that we are trying our best to go forth and replicate it in other schools just shows the fact that it's successful and the fact that we actually care. And the fact that we want to see a positive change, not just in our youth community in Chicago, but just in the general Chicago line area. So just to answer your question directly, we are we are eyeballing six schools um, and we are planning to expand to six other schools across Chicago. And honestly, 
we do not have the capacity to do that right now because we're only a team of five people. And imagine SPM with five people trying to go across six schools. That, that's impossible. Um, but then again, we want to expand our team. We want to see anybody else who wants to do what we've done at other schools and try their best to step down to the teenage community, step down to the child community, and help them. That's what, that, that's what we just did, and that's what we hope to help other people experience as well. Um, in terms of the giving people donations drive, honestly, that is just – it's just going because all we need to do is have a donation box at a place, and uh, we place donation boxes at the city colleges, and we just receive donations, and we just distribute it. So every other Sunday of the month, uh, we actually go out into the community, and we just pass out the clothes. So um, if anybody wanted to volunteer, they could just reach out to myself or even Isaac and just ask about how they can volunteer for the Giving People Donations Drive, and we will hit you up with some dates, and we can go into the streets together and just, you know, pass some clothes out, pass some food out, and just have some conversations with members of the homeless community. So that's the that's really just the next steps for SPM, um, and I really hope that we are able to successfully expand to other schools. And honestly, unfortunately, I hate to say it, but it all relies on funding, um, and if we're able to support um, the program at the other schools and if we're able to support um, having members of the team because we're obviously going to need to have people um, who are going to have to run the program. So that's the general goal. And it all lies in the balance of funding, but, you know, we're definitely, definitely trying our best to apply to some grants and pleading our case to why we are a organization that is actually here to help people. And hopefully we get the, hopefully we get heard. And um, if we do get heard, then, we will be able to help more people for sure. So those are the, those are the plans for SPM. Um, but yeah, right now we're just kind of doing a lot of the giving people donations drive right now and trying our best to apply to grants um, and trying our best to recruit even more people to be part of the team. Definitely. Well, thank you again so much for coming. I hope some of our listeners sign up to volunteer or give you a donation directly. Uh, you can learn more about Jacques' work at servingpeoplewithamission.org or on Instagram at SPM underscore leads and sign up to be a guest or donor to this podcast, the Little Winds podcast at at Little Winds Chicago on Instagram. We were proud to donate $200 of our funds to provide care packages, backpacks and other supplies to youth in Chicago. And if you'd like to contribute to our funds so we can get more guests like these and then show you the impact that we have on them later, you can sign up at our link tree on our Instagram. Again, you are helping us to make a difference just by listening and sharing our very first episode. Many more to come. Stick with us for this journey. Thank you so much.